0: As you dive into this teaching from High Point Church, we pray that it will help you grow in your faith as you believe in, belong to, and become more like Jesus. If these messages bless you, would you consider giving back in support of this ministry? You can give and learn more about High Point at www.highpoint.church. Let me begin by saying words have power. Whether it's an inspiring word from a teacher that gives birth to a new idea, or an insightful word from a mentor that solves a problem or an encouraging word from a family member that builds character. Words can change the trajectory of a person's life. It's true. I've experienced it myself as I'm a product of what's been spoken into me and over me throughout the years by so many different people in so many walks of life. But today, I don't want you to hear a word from me or from anyone else for that matter. I want you to hear a word specifically from God, the one who created you, the one who breathed life into you, because he's got something to say to you, I know it, if we'll slow down and listen to him. So call me naive or call me foolish, I truly believe that God has a word for each of us today. And not just some generic word or some religious word, and certainly not some unhelpful Christian slogan, but a true word, a helpful word, a transforming word. So buckle up and let's get ready to hear from God, specifically and individually. If you have a Bible, open it up to Psalm 23. The title of the message is 10 Words That God Speaks. And I'm gonna begin today by reading Psalm 23, which is probably the most recognizable psalm in the Bible, most well-known. And then I'm gonna share the 10 words, two at a time, And I want you to listen for the word that God has for you. Now, it may be one of the words that I share or a word I don't share. Either way, that's okay. Because don't forget, the objective today is for you to hear a word from God in light of your situation, in light of your circumstances, in light of everything that is going on in your life. Now, before we get started, I want to clarify a few things. The psalm doesn't actually contain the 10 words that I'm going to share with you. I know that but you'll see the concepts and the meanings represented for sure. Next, this psalm, it doesn't mention the name of Jesus. Again, I know that, but follow the bouncing ball if I can say it like this. The psalm says that God is our shepherd, and Jesus says that he is the good shepherd, so therefore his name, it may not be in the text, but he certainly is, you can count on that. And lastly, I'm the only pastor in the world that is turning to Psalm 23 on this day, Easter Sunday. Again, I know that. Most pastors, they only turn here for a funeral. But trust me, this ain't no funeral. That's what Good Friday was all about. Today is Easter Sunday, and I believe the resurrection is going to bring a word of life to you today. Psalm 23, verse one, says this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. First two words that God speaks, satisfaction and security. Now notice the word Lord in verse one. When you see it in all caps like this in your Bible, it comes from the Hebrew word Yahweh, which is the most personal name for God. It's like you're on a first name basis with the creator of the universe. That's how well you can know him. And then when it says, my shepherd, it introduces the imagery that's so common in the Bible. We the people are the sheep and God is the shepherd. And the sheep, we can be summarized in three S words. Get ready. Stinky, smelly, and stupid. Aren't you glad you tuned in for church today on Easter Sunday so the pastor can call you stinky, smelly, and stupid? Well, sorry, I didn't come up with the analogy, but that's what the Bible says we are. And I know it to be true from firsthand experience, not only with myself, but many of you. And as I said, God is the shepherd, he's our shepherd. And he can be summed up in three words too. His are a lot different than ours. His are supreme, stellar, and searching. Searching for what? He's searching for you and me, the sheep, because he wants to bring us back into the fold. Now, take note of the four words at the end of verse one. These are the four words that our world so desperately needs. It says, I shall not want. See, for most people, satisfaction is elusive. Why? Well, let me illustrate that. And answer that question with what might be a familiar illustration to you. This is who I call Circle Man. And Circle Man was born with a problem. He has a hole. And that hole is a God-sized hole in his heart. We'll give him some ears. And the same is true for Triangle Girl. She has the same exact issue as she's been born with a God-sized hole in her heart as well. And so what happens with circle man and triangle girl is that this leads to some difficulty. Let's give them some arms. Because how about a neck? They, they try to fill it by themselves, and they try to fill it with all kinds of different things. What kind of things? Well, they try to fill it with stuff, and that stuff could be anything, really. I mean, they try to fill this God-sized hole with success or money or relationships or entertainment, even drugs and alcohol and everything in between. But nothing can fill this hole, nothing but, but God Himself. He's the only one that can fill this hole in their hearts. And Ecclesiastes chapter 3 it makes it clear in verse 11 it says this that in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 says that God has set eternity in their hearts and that's why nothing can fill it but God himself now some say this illustration dates back all the way to Augustine when he said you have made Us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Others, they say that it originated with Pascal when he wrote, What else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim but that there was once in man a true happiness of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace? This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him. Seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in those that are, though none can help, since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, only by God himself. Now, I don't know who deserves the credit for this illustration that I drew for you today, but I know this, they're both right. As all of us, every single one of us has been born with a God-sized hole in our hearts, meaning Nothing will ever satisfy it except God himself. Therefore, I wholeheartedly agree with the 20th century author, Hannah Hunard, when she says, God has made us for himself and our hearts can never know rest and perfect satisfaction until they find it in him. That's what Easter is all about, the resurrection of Christ, which brings satisfaction and security. Are those the two words that God wants to speak into you today? satisfaction and security? Well, the next two words that God speaks, love and acceptance. We see it in verse two when it says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, that phrase, it's always troubled me a bit because it says that God has to make me lie down. Make me lie down in green pastures, meaning that my natural inclination is to not lie down and not get the rest that I need, but rather to keep going and going and going. and. It's true for all of us. We keep going and going with our careers. We keep going and going with our causes. We keep going and going with our responsibilities. We keep going and going with everything. You fill in the blank from the best travel team for little Johnny and Betsy to the best deal that I can find online until we are utterly and completely exhausted and ready to drop. And when we do that, try to keep up this pace that's so unhealthy. Notice what we miss out on at the end of verse two. The refreshment that God wants to bring to each of us as he leads us, as it says, he leads me beside still waters. And these still waters, they provide what we need, the emotional and physical and spiritual refreshment that God so wants to give to each of us. That's the picture of this psalm. And it's supposed to come, catch this, without much effort from us, the sheep but it requires a lot of effort from God the shepherd. Remember, this is ancient Israel and the shepherds are in the hills of Jerusalem where water is scarce, so the sheep can't find it on their own. And if they just happen to stumble upon it by accident at some river or some stream, they couldn't drink from it because the water was moving downhill at such a rapid rate. They would put themselves in danger and get swept up in it. That's why it says that the shepherd stilled the water. He would literally have to build a dam with sticks and stones to create a small pool for the sheep to drink from so they could drink as much as they needed without getting hurt. And just as the shepherd had to settle the water for the sheep to drink safely, the good shepherd, he has to settle our hearts so we can drink safely too. That's how much he loves us. That's how much he cares for us. I remember when my oldest daughter, Allie, was around three or four years old. We were having breakfast one morning before I went to work and She asked me how much I loved her. And I said jokingly, well, I love you more than this. And I held my two fingers a few inches apart. And she said, that's all. And then I said, well, on second thought, I love you more than this. I love you about this far. And I put my hands apart just like this. And then she finally figured out that I was kidding around with her. And she chuckled. And she asked, I I said to her, how much do you love me? And she responded without hesitation, well, more than that, lots more than that. And we both laughed. As I told her, I loved her farther than my arms could reach. So as I'm pulling out of the driveway in my car, I I kid you not, I saw her standing in the front picture window on the ledge and she wanted to make sure that I could see her. And she had her little arms, I'm not kidding you, stretched out as far as they could go, so much so that they were nearly stretched out of their sockets, showing me how much she loved me. That's the best way she could show me. That picture is ingrained in my head and my mind forever. That's how much Jesus, our God, our Good Shepherd, He loves us. As wide as His arms could stretch on that cross, as that one unforgettable act showed us the love and acceptance He has for us. Are those the two words that God wants to speak into you today? Love and acceptance. Jesus, the Good Shepherd said, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Whatever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This brings us to our next two words that God speaks: identity and purpose. We see this in verse three when it says, "He restores my soul," as the soul is the immaterial part of your being that lives forever. It's what makes you different from your dog Spot or any animal for that matter. It houses your mind emotions, and will, and restore. It literally means to bring back to its original condition, what it was meant to be. And that's what God wants to do with you. He wants to bring you back into relationship with Him. Why? Well, the answer to that question is found at the end of verse 3 for you and me. It says, so that He can lead me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. That simply means that God wants you to be who he created you to be and to do what he created you to do so that you can go where he wants you to go. But all of us are like sheep and we've gone astray. That's what the Bible teaches. Why? Well, remember who we are. This is who we are. Baha, ba, bah. And just as these sheep, they wander off and lose their way, we wander off and lose our way. I remember one time when our girls were young and we visited Kings Island. It's an amusement park outside of Cincinnati, and it happened. Every parent's worst nightmare. We lost a kid, the youngest, Emily. I thought she was with Jody, Jody thought she was with me. She was gone. She wandered off. Now, this is pre-cell phone age, so we couldn't call her or I couldn't track her. So We went back to the last place where we all saw each other because that's what my parents taught me when I was a kid. Go to the last place that we all saw each other when we got lost. Therefore, that's what I told my kids to do when they got lost. Go to the place that we all last saw each other. So we did, but you guessed it, she wasn't there. So I went running to the front entrance of the park because I I really thought somebody stole her. I just started thinking about all those stories on 2020 and Dateline and about all those kids who get abducted. And so I'm frantically checking out every single person who was leaving the park and every car that is driving away thinking they've got my little blue-eyed and blonde-haired girl. But my wife, Jody, the wise one, she heads over to the lost children area to find Emily. It was located in the Kitty park. And there's Emily hanging out with the security guards having fun while I'm out running around in the park on a mad search for her like a chicken with his head cut off. I probably ran past the place she was two or three times before I realized she was in there. I should have slowed down and read the sign above it. I think it said lost parents area, not lost kids, as I'm sure that's what Emily told them I was, a lost parent. Uh, My dad's lost. We still laugh about it today, even though we weren't laughing back then. But that's how God reacts when one of his children gets lost. When we wander off the path, he's on a mad search for us. And when he finds us, he's so happy that he throws a party for us. That's what the Bible says. If you don't believe me, read Luke 15. That's what happened to the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. Listen, if you don't hear anything else I say today, please hear this about your identity and purpose as a Christian. My identity and purpose are not anchored in my own accomplishments, but in Christ's accomplishments. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. As a Christian, my identity and purpose, they're not achieved in my own strength, but in Christ's strength. Philippians chapter 4, verses 12 and 13 say it like this. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. As a Christian, my identity and purpose, they're not attained through my own victory, but through Christ's victory. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Listen, if you've wandered off, God wants you back because you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. I love this quote from Neil Anderson. It's helped me understand my new identity and purpose many years ago. Maybe it'll help you. He writes, Remember, what you do doesn't determine who you are. Who you are determines what you do. Did you catch that? Who you are determines what you do because when you know who you are, you know what to do. As perspective, it's a powerful weapon that can keep you on track with God. Are these the two words that God wants to speak to you today? Identity and purpose. Let me give you two more words. Provision and protection that's the picture that's painted in verse 4 when it reads even though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death i will fear no evil for you are with me your rod and your staff they comfort me okay let's slow down and grasp the magnitude of this word verse i, I don't want you to miss it whatever you're going through wherever you find yourself no matter how good things are no matter how bad things can get The four-word promise to grab hold of in this verse, you are with me. That means that the creator of the universe, the God who breathed life into you, he's right by your side, he's right next to you, and we are reminded of some things in this verse. First, you ain't just standing in this season of pain and difficulty on your own or sitting in it by yourself, even though at times we feel like that. The text says you're walking, not sitting, The text says you're walking, not standing. You're walking with him by your side. You're moving past it with him leading the way. As this isn't your final resting place or this isn't your final destination in life. So don't be afraid as the forward promise says, you are with me. Second thing to remember. Interestingly, death is a shadow. That's what's compared to here. And a shadow, if we think about that, is a representation of an object. It's not the object itself. One famous preacher, he said, just as the shadow of a dog can't bite and the shadow of a knife can't kill, the shadow of death cannot destroy. It's true. And that's what we're celebrating today as Jesus conquered death when he rose from the grave. And that means that you and I, we can conquer death too. So we don't have to be afraid. He is with you. And third, it mentions the rod and the staff that the shepherd carried. These were used to protect the sheep from any enemies or foes and to keep the sheep moving in the right direction. Because like sheep, we've already talked about it, we veer off the path pretty frequently and the shepherd had to use it to keep them in line, to keep us moving forward. They could also be used, these tools, as a walking stick for the shepherd. Why? Well, he's searching for the sheep because they have a tendency to run away just like you and me. But in all these usages, notice what the verse says. It says comfort as these tools that God carries are designed to bring us comfort. Again, look at the forward promise in the text. You are with me. That's the comfort that's promised as he never leaves us or forsakes us, no matter what we're going through, no matter how bad things get. I remember when my mom was dying of cancer. God used this painful experience to bring her closer to himself. She actually became a Christian through it. I've heard it said that God uses the circumstances of life to ripen people to the gospel. I say it a lot. That was certainly true for both my mom and my dad. And when my mom was lying there in bed suffering, I mean, with so much pain and discomfort, I mean, the pain, it was relentless. That's how cancer is, man. It just, it just keeps going, it just doesn't stop. But, but we knew as we were around her bed that she was close to the end. And I'll never forget as she asked me, how long does it take to die? And I didn't know how to answer a question like that. I mean, who does? And before I could say anything, she held up her hand. I didn't know what she was doing. But then she said really softly, I finally understand it. And and, and I was like, I looked at, we looked at each other, well, what do you mean? And She responded with a smile on her face and she said, he's holding my hand. It wasn't long after that my mom, she was gone. She went from this life to the next. But she could say to the good shepherd, you are with me. And I promise you, you can too. Whatever you're walking through, Whatever pain you're suffering from, are these the two words that God wants to speak into you today? Protection and provision, because he's with us. Well, let me give you the last two words that I know God wants to speak. Does he want to speak it into you? Contentment and blessing. For this, the psalmist, he gives us a new illustration. He turns the page, so to speak. We go from being compared to sheep that wander off in the desert hills to some distinguished guests seated around a banquet table. Finally, that's a good picture. But it's a pretty big swing. Picture in your mind, I don't know, a wedding feast or a wedding reception. And if you're a dad like me with three daughters, no worries, you don't have to pay for this one. But in all seriousness, notice at the beginning of verse 5, he says, you prepare a table before me. Now, prepare, it implies that there was foresight, there was forethought. as. God planned this ahead of time for you. And a table suggests bounty, as in a bountiful banquet feast, like the one we see in Revelation at the end of the age. You ask, same one? Well, maybe. And before me, it suggests a personal connection, and individual seat. Think of it as a place setting with your name on it. And when it says, in the presence of my enemies, it's more like in spite of your enemies, as they will jealously look on, will you sit at the head table. See, it's just confirming the truth that God takes care of his own. The good shepherd said, "My sheep hear my voice, and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish neither shall any of them man pluck them out of my hand." And then in the middle of verse 5, notice these two important phrases. He says, "You anoint my head with oil" and then the next picture, "my cup overflows." These describe the outpouring of blessing that God wants to bring into your individual life, the abundance of blessing. And make no mistake, both in this life and the next, are these the two words that God has for you today? Contentment and blessing. If you're thinking to yourself in the quietness of your heart, man, I could sure use a little more of that. Or maybe you're asking yourself the question, how can I make sure I experience all of the contentment and blessing this psalm is offering. Psalm 23. Well, the answer lies in the 17 personal pronouns that are given in this psalm. Yep, 17. I said it. Count them up. All the I's, all the me's, all the my's that the psalmist uses. See, they're indications of personal relationship. They're indications of individual ownership. The psalmist didn't say the Lord is their shepherd, indicating he was someone else's. He didn't say the Lord is a shepherd, indicating there may be some other one he should follow. No, he said the Lord is my shepherd because he claimed the good shepherd as his own. He grabbed hold of him for himself. He experienced him firsthand. And we need to do the very same thing. So let me ask you, as we walk through Psalm 23, one last time, and you listen for the word that God has for you on this Easter Sunday, let's take it out of the third person and put it in the first person for you. Can you say with absolute certainty, without a shadow of a doubt, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. And total certainty. And when the psalmist writes, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever, this isn't some errand B&B that you have to check out of. You are living in the house of God from now and to eternity. So again, let me ask you, can you say it with confidence and certainty that the Lord is your shepherd? Because that's what the Lord wants to speak into you today. That's what he wants to speak over you. Whatever your word is, And please know this, he doesn't force himself on anyone. He doesn't make you do anything that you don't wanna do. It's your choice to follow. It's your choice to be led. It's nobody else's. And what I've experienced, he only speaks to those who are willing to listen. I'm certain of that. Because I've claimed God as my good shepherd, as my own. And if you haven't already, you can too. In a moment, you're gonna hear from a couple in our church who can say with absolute certainty and total confidence, the Lord is my shepherd? There's no question about that. My wife Jody and I, we know them first. We know it firsthand because we know them personally. She was in Jody's small group and he was in the men's group that I helped lead. Their story, get ready. I mean, it's amazing. You're just going to hear a piece of it. And as you listen to them, Listen for the word that God has for you so that you can claim Jesus as your good shepherd with absolute certainty and total confidence.